welcome to The Source of Uncertainty, a Buchla podcast for you. I'm Kyle Swisher. And I am Robert Standifer. And this is episode 28, 28. our epi- episode for November. Um, you know, we, we were kind of just talking beforehand. Um, you know, we've been doing stuff musically and patching, but kind of not of too much maybe revel- re- relevance to talk about up top. And yeah. um, and uh, I don't know. I think we're just psyched about uh, getting right into the featured module that we checked out and yeah. um, talking to the people um, about another module. Yep. Which people have been talking about on Facebook in the past couple of days, which is good timing. I like the, the weird thing about this show is when we record it, when we know stuff, when we talk about it, it's like a time warp. So we've known <laughs> yeah. about that module. We didn't say anything about it. Somebody posted the picture of it. Then you promote this episode, and we hadn't finished recording the episode yet. <laughs> and it doesn't come out for like two weeks. <laughs> yeah. And it's a daylight savings time. To, <laughs> That's you know, right. Yeah. So, yeah. So you're like, let's meet at 11. I'm like 11 on my analog clock that I haven't <laughs> set back yet, or on my watch, which does it automatically. <laughs> yeah. I knew that was dicey when I proposed that. It's like, I just waited it out. I showed up at 10, you know, just in case. I didn't, I didn't know. But <laughs> yeah, when I messaged her, like, I'm ready when you are. I'm like, oh, 45 minutes early. Okay. <laughs> well, I was sitting here all, all hooked up. Like, I don't want to just listen to music through my podcasting mic. And then I'd no. <laughs> but here we are. So, uh, so, yeah, I guess on the show today, we've got uh, Andrew Kilpatrick and Pat McAllister. Um, master. From Bo- oh, uh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm already getting to that Christmas uh, uh, Home Alone mode, yeah. you know? Yeah, you know, uh, Kieran Culkin was on SNL last week. Oh, that's right. Are night. you a Succession yeah. fan? Um, I'm going to get into it because SNL has done two Succession references in the past two episodes. One with Nicholas Braun. And yeah, Nuck, yeah. So, like, it must be it, good. Cousin Greg on uh, last. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm, I, I like binged it right before the third season started and stuff. So we've been watching hacks, which is a fantastic show. God, so good. Oh yeah. Yeah. With a uh, gene smart. Yeah. I can see why it beat Ted Lasso for some of those Emmys. Yeah. But, um, yeah. No, I, I love that show too. I get, and my mom was like, Oh yeah, she's local. Like, yeah, she's from here. Yeah. Seattle. Her, her dad, I like maybe taught at my mom's high school or something like that or something. Somewhere like that. It's always Anywho. something weird like that. <laughs> Let's go back to what we were yeah. <laughs> actually talking about, which was uh, Andrew what? Kilpatrick <laughs> and uh, Pat McMaster that have yeah. um, that have combined forces uh, with Kilpatrick Audio and uh, Pat's new startup, A Yellow Sign, um, for the uh, sextuple quadraphonic spatial director. So, um, so yeah, we're going to actually check out, uh, uh, Andrew's, um, pattern generator first. K4816, right? Good memory. I do not yeah. have it in front of me anymore. <laughs> yeah. I memorized but, um, it. Uh, but yeah, that was a, that was, that was a fun module as you will. Yeah. It was, it was a nice surprise. I, you know, it was 
I had a blast. And I went over to your I went over to your house, of course. Folks don't know that, but got to go hang out at Kyle's house for a little bit, play with his dog. And uh <laughs> it was it was fun. It was neat to um to just see that in your system where it it like doesn't fit at all compared to all of your um, other modules in a good way though you know it would have fit in my system just fine i've got all kinds of computers and stuff in here yeah so in selco's all around you know that's and so (laughs) i don't have i don't think i have a rogan or i don't own a davies knob i just find them patently offensive but i have some (laughs) rogans hidden away in a box for a rainy day (laughs) i might have to buy those off you at some point let's see (laughs) I'll um, have a trench coat with them all, like, they want to buy a Rogan. Yeah, yeah, flip it open, and they're all, yeah. <laughs> okay, all right. Let's, uh, let's, let's uh, yeah, get into uh, this module, and then we'll uh, talk to Andrew and Pat. And we'll mention it, um, you know, definitely at the end of the show and everything. But uh, this module that they're putting out is now open for pre-order. So go check it out. Okay, we're here with Kilpatrick's audio K4816 pattern generator. Did you know that I kept calling that the carbon and I got in trouble on Mod Wiggler? The carbon? Yeah, that's a totally different thing. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I kept calling it the carbon. And I think <laughs> Kent or someone like that said, there's a carbon in Brucal format? Oh, oops. Oopsies. No, it was the K4816. <laughs> so, sorry about that. Um, so yeah, we're just gonna, I've had this, uh, in my possession for a couple weeks, been, um, having fun with it, getting to know it. And so Robert's had a little bit of experience. You, do you say you had this? I played it? with the Euro rap oh, version right. years ago when I was doing all that sequencer exploration, you know, with the coma complex and all of that. Yeah. Totally different context, you know, with several thousand HP of Euro rap <laughs> modules. Yeah. Um, and I've forgotten a lot of it, but uh, generally, you know, it kind of reminds me of the uh, Pittsburgh modular game system, I think, uh, you know, kind of that same, the, the, that was kind of a popular thing for a little while for mm. doing patterns and randomness and stuff. So I'm pretty familiar with it, but as you know, because I was traveling and stuff, I didn't get to play with it before today. Yeah. So I'm here in your house. Yeah. So I'll kind of give you the, yeah, yeah the re-education. Um, so I, yeah, I guess when... Um, when you know, kind of seeing this this thing online, I, I definitely thought of it more as like a sequencer, um, which it it does do. But I kind of like I don't know, always gloss over the name. It was like pattern generator, where it's like, oh yeah, I guess this can be more about um, pulses and patterns. Yeah. Um, so kind of to give you like a general uh, layout for the listeners, um, the kind of central part of this module is this eight by eight grid of red dots reminds me of um do you ever play that game boy that was like it was like virtual boy where it was all like red and you had to stick your face in that that thing yeah yeah it was awful yeah but yeah it does remind me of that which is not awful but um (laughs) it also kind of reminds me of kit 
the second generation of Knight Rider with Mike with David Hasselhoff, where he went from a flashing red sign to you know some some LCDs. Gotcha. Doesn't it kind of remind you of that? Of I mean, I don't know if I got that deep into. Uh... <laughs> You're familiar with Knight Rider, of course. I, I am, but like yeah. uh, the ins and outs of Kit uh, well, and two. the different seasons. Well, there are three, actually, but yeah. that, we'll save that for the Knight Rider podcast <laughs> that we're starting up. Um, and so kind of, so yeah, basically there's, uh, um, you've got this grid, and then there's 32 different patterns that you can um, shift through. So they're just, you know, preset. Yeah, but let's, let's describe what some, so right now, Kyle just sort of, tweak the knob and it looks like the um what's that called fast forward yeah like, yeah it kind of looks like, like it's two, two arrows, arrows to the right to the right yeah um, and then you know looks like a black widow mm-hmm. thing and that looks like a cloud this is i call this one the donkey kong it does look like donkey kong it's got these levels with little circles that look like they could be barrels um and then um there's a percent see. that like a division symbol yeah there's Some, that looks like polka dot. Oh, the heart is yeah, an alien, like an alien or like a squid or something. Yeah. There is a the face heart. somewhere in here, like a smiley face. Um, That's cool. Where's that? Oh yeah. Oh, there's a smiley face. Yeah. Um, so basically, you know, where these um, where these um, dots are red is when this they call it like the the ball or the motion ball lands on that. There's going to be a pulse out of the pulse output. Um, and then there's also within this grid um, are um, notes for CV. Yeah, so um, it's, C- it's a CV impulse per red dot, right? Yeah. And then nothing output when it's in the black. Um, CV will, let's see, will CV change? I think CV will change, but it won't pulse. Hmm. I believe we're, we'll, <laughs> we'll 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 play with it. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, that's how um, they kind of describe this module as like having three layers. So um, because of this eight by eight grid, basically um, there's like a scale from C to C, um, yeah. and then uh, there's a switch to turn it from major to minor hmm. for the quantizer. Um, yeah. And yeah. there's another switch, uh, so it'll go um, it'll go four octaves. So it'll kind of run through four octaves and that will get to the halfway point of this grid if you're just kind of going sequentially um, left to right and then jumping back to the next row left to right. Yeah. Um, and then it will start over again. But if you want to minimize the four octave jump within that, you can go to small where it will just be two octaves. So let me, let's kind of listen to this as we Yeah, so I was thinking about it. it if, you, so if it goes C to C, one octave like c3 to c4 that's the eight notes between c3 and, and ending with c4 yeah and so switching between major and minor just c major and c minor on those eight notes and, and no other modes or anything like that which is right because you just have the major and minor yeah it's not like you're getting into different types of scale like you know there's no dorian mm. mode or or and can you tune the c to a or you, so, I mean, or... yeah, basically depending on, well, I guess depending on what you have your oscillator set oh, to. Oh, I see. The, the sequencer is tuned to C, and then you just tune your oscillator offset from that. Okay, yeah, cool. Got yeah. It. yeah. There is, um, but there is an offset output, so there's another, there's, an, um, there's a CV in for this as well, but we can um, also kind of scale it from here yeah. and control it. So you can, um, uh, you can transpose 
cool. uh, with another voltage as well. So um, right now... Um, I should have just stayed home and listened to the episode. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see here. Right now... Actually, let's... Can we move this to... I guess let's just have this be in mono right now. Um for both uh sorry we're, we're messing with my mixer here um so uh we have the pulse going into a 281 and a the cv going into uh the 258 uh, square oscillator um with you know it's in sign mode right now so as you can hear we're going That's, up. That this. sounds good, by the way. <laughs> uh, we're going up this uh, scale, and once it hits that um, that kind of eighth dot, the next row has that. It repeats that same like C. Oh yeah, because or it's C to C, right? So C three, C four, C four, C five, C five, C six. Yep. Yeah. Okay. That's kind of. That's how we practice scales when you're learning the piano. You go up to C, and then you play C again. You go down to C. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cool. That's, so, a, that's a good thing to point out. I'm glad you. Yeah. I would have been confused by that. Yeah, because when you're like, well, seven notes, but there's yeah, <laughs> there's eight. Um, so now I can go. So this is going through the, and this is going through all um, 64 points on this yeah. grid. You can minimize this. There's a motion length, so we can, you know, if we go halfway up, um, I had the dial turned all the way up. It should potentially just go through half of them. Oh. Yeah, it's a little off there. A little off. It's very. I mean, yeah. the well, resolution just, of this pot. is hard, and you yeah. don't get any visual from from that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so max it out again. Uh, I'll show you this. So this is the large, small, uh, which now it's just going to go um, to two octaves, and it's going to repeat. So it's oh, not yeah. doing the, the the super low octave anymore, or the super high octave. Yeah. Um, That's cool. Yeah, so it kind of regulates it a bit. Here's the output offset. So um, I guess straight up is where it would not be, or it's I don't. It's it's an interesting pot. It's hard to tell because there's no indicator or anything. So it's just, I guess it would depend on how that pot was. Like, because if you can imagine, I guess there's a calibration routine, but it, it, you'll have to use your ear, or I'd probably hook it up to an oscilloscope. Yeah. Um, I think there, yeah, there's an amount of like offset voltage set in here, so then you can turn this thing down or up. So that's all the way up. And there's a CV input for that, so that's where you could, um, you know, sequence <laughs> the sequencer if you wanted to, yeah. like another. Or um, I don't. I should double check. I don't know if this is like a. Um, 1.2 volt per octave input where you can oh, use right. like pitch, a yeah. 218 um, to right um, change it chromatically or not that yeah uh, and, and you don't use that to transpose right because it has an in well you for... could, you could yeah that's kind of the offset in is like this is where oh so you could use that to transpose then yeah I got like nobody transposes in Buchla. <laughs> Just nothing's me. ever Just in tune. <laughs> nothing's ever in tune. <laughs> um, but as you hear, like this, you know, even when we're going through the four octaves, like this oscillator keeps up. No, that's the Dunnington no 258. Yeah. Right? yeah, man, that sounds so and, good. And we are going into so this is a uh, 
1.2 volt proactive output. So we are going into the dedicated 1.2 volt proactive input. Um, now let's go to uh, minor. Do you know all the notes in C minor? Uh-uh. That's okay. I do. <laughs> That's why we're co-hosts. What are you going to do without me? That's right. Yeah. Y- yin and yang, you know? <laughs> um, then there is a... So this is going in forward. There's also a reverse direction. So now it can go down. Um, there's a CV input for that. So there's just a threshold on the CV input to where it's like once it meets this... I don't know if it's five or seven volts... Um, it'll then change direction to to go the opposite way. Yeah. Man, I wish you had been around when I played with this <laughs> rack. I couldn't figure it out. <laughs> uh, there's then a, a pulse input. Here, I'll turn this down for a second. Pulse input for the uh, for the clock, and so you can um, you know use it something else to drive this. And then there's a clock speed. I guess I can turn that back on where it can go. Very fast um, to if it's at zero, it doesn't go anywhere. Um, that makes sense. And I don't even know. I turned it up a little bit. I don't know where it's, there's its threshold. So that's pretty slow. But if you wanted it to be even slower, you could um, use some other pulse input to drive it more slowly. And there's a gate time knob. I didn't see that one because yeah. I'm like, what's gate? Right? Know. Yeah. There's a little... Yeah, it's not a pull. Like, well, yeah, even the the pul- the red pulse output is called a gate. Because it's here. a it's a, like a pulse, but it can have a length. Yeah, so... If which we, a pulse doesn't really have a length. So, like, the two... Um, so, I just switched the switch on the 281 um, to go to... Um, it's, like, sustain mode. Mm-hmm. So, if you have, like, a sustaining pulse, um, it will go longer so now i've turned up this from this gate time from short to long so even (laughs) it can't go slow enough to really give us (laughs) i like that i like that bass yeah um it's all my it's my headphones that's making it sound so good (laughs) you got it turned up to 14 um Okay, so now let's start talking. So you've heard the notes, and I guess let's change um, the next part. So all these red lights are lit up, so that's why we're hearing one every single time. Uh, you know, it pulse every time. Let's go to this pattern. It looks kind of like, um, you know, in cartoons when somebody gets injured and they have that little bandage that it like in Japanese, you know, yeah. in manga or anime. It looks like that, doesn't it? That little red yeah, thing yeah. on their forehead. That's what it looks like. So now every, so, you know, there's more negative spot, lights that are not lit up. Yeah. So when the ball goes over it, um, it's only going to pulse on that time. But then you're also getting, let me speed up the... You're only getting certain notes now too, right? Because right. you're muted on those other notes. Yeah. It's like um, on an analog sequencer, having the gate or trigger turned off for a particular step. So now if we go back, um, I'll go back to major. I'm gonna go back to the full on. Um, so now kind of 
um, the third level of this is actually the motion of where this you know ball, bouncing ball, is um, is traveling over these these notes and pulse outputs. So there's this motion type. Um, so we there's um, just like the grid, there's 64 types of of motion. Wow. Yeah. So um, and it's a little tricky to um, um, to figure out like what oh. one you're on because it doesn't give like in the manual that lists out all yeah one 64. through 64 right sequential um, left to right and then there's like stars and crossing over and slither spiral. oh that's like that snake game yeah on our phones ropes and knots what's totally also random. cool is then they get into different kind of like um triads so, yeah. so then they're doing patterns based on the actual notes yeah yet those are going to be different you know then when going to a different pattern you're going to get different notes anyways and and, yeah. and feels um, then there's a bunch of random ones too that also you know we'll do certain ones that are like seconds thirds fifths so it still will kind of follow these yeah and then there's nine there are nine groove ones in there too which is kind of interesting so now it's um so if i turn this motion knob robert you'll see this it this kind of crosshair system that oh, starts yeah. now yeah. So so that's how you know which motion you've loaded up. Yeah. So you just got to kind of count through. Um, so it's like on the we're on run one right now, which is just the left to right, like what we've been hearing. And then if I move it over one notch, we're now. Oh, I see how it works. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. That that's really that's really cool. So instead of moving left to right, it's going uh, top to bottom per column. So that's that. That's really neat how that works. What? So we're on number two, sequential top to bottom and left to right. Yeah. And so then, like, yeah. Now we're like snaking. Which mode? Oh, in the zigzag mode. Yeah. Is that three or four? Uh, three, I think. Um, yeah, sequential zigzag. So now the next one is going to be like. Now it's yeah. going to go top to bottom again. Up, up, down, left to right. Yeah. So um, if you go to. Like uh, number seven, spiral. Oh, it goes. Oh, yeah. So it starts at the outside and then goes up to step seven and crosses over to step six, crosses, goes down to step five. Mm -hmm. And resets. A little, little bit of Fibonacci sequence looking thing going yeah. on there. I like the, um, I like this one where it like bounces from this yeah. from the lowest note and will bounce up really the, cool. the scale and when i played with this we didn't get in we didn't get into all that hmm. we didn't have the manual for one thing so. <laughs> yeah it, it helps a bit so now so once again we've got all these things lit up so this is where we can go find different patterns oh yeah and so you've got the motion selected you change the pattern to something that has a lot fewer dots yeah and different in a lot fewer notes you yeah know? we're just hearing yeah, dots yeah notes right because um, it's cutting out the in c major that would be the d and the e and then a and b so those are missing from the the pattern so we can now like switch the motion type so let's go to like Oh man, a little bit of Doogie Howser theme in there. <laughs> you heard it too, didn't you? Yeah, there it is. And 
what one? Let's see. <laughs> if you had your 218 out, we could play the do 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 do. Do the little voiceover at the end when he had some kind of moment that he's writing about. Yeah. So now we've gone back to spiral, and there's going to be a lot of negative space once it gets to this middle. Yeah. Spiral. That's pretty cool. So with that, with that up, the speed turned up, the clock turned up. Pretty, then you can get some, uh, some really cool. So I turned up yeah. the the rate a bit. Um, I like that. That's you know that's really cool because this is the kind of pattern that, you know, we program into. I've got 64 step sequencers in the Colossus and I had the, the Coma Complex. I had to do this kind of thing note by, you know, slider by slider, mm -hmm. which is fine, a little tedious, but um, and I made, usually made a mistake here and there mm -hmm. because I have to think about each of the notes in the spiral diagram, you know, yeah. to do that and do like the, um, basically the math of figuring out, yeah. I mean, is it a fifth? Is it a seventh? I mean, it'd be cool to pick Andrew's brain a little bit yeah. about you know, all these different motions. Yeah, where that, did he get the inspiration yeah. for these? Um, Ropes and knots. So that's the, uh, the the divide symbol. Yeah, I can. <laughs> there is a... I uh, should have brought this up. We actually do have, like, the different patterns. This is called caution. Oh, yeah, okay. I can see that. Like the caution tape. Yeah. Oh, I like, I like the... What is that, maze? Maze? Let's so try maze and find maze. maze is a, it's right after... That looks like a helicopter to me, that... Doesn't it? Plan view? Plan. <laughs> <laughs> Folks, go look at the manual for this. It's worth it, I promise. So this, um... Would lend... I mean, this would be really cool in a live performance. I mean, well, because... Be really fun. You what know? we're not used to, or at least what I'm not used to, is actually like scale quantized yeah. um, <laughs> notes in Buchla. I'm always like, you know, if I'm making music, it's like, well, I'm choosing every damn note. Right. Where I, where I talk to like my Eurac friends and just like everything kind of sequentially is usually quantized or mm -hmm. or, or at least optionally quantized. Yeah, yeah. He's um, a quantizer. Where it's just like, nah, I'm just jamming in this scale for a bit you know yeah and, and it's like oh man that seems so easy so it has been really fun to just be like you're kind of i don't know i've had a lot of fun with it because you're just on the rails i'm not worrying about like the specific notes it's just like what it's doing yeah sounds the, the patterns and you, you can do interesting modulation with other things yeah and even if like and what's cool it's like well okay maybe this pattern you know doesn't f this motion doesn't fit with this pattern right or something what we can also experiment with is um here let's let's change the i mean this is cool yeah whatever <laughs> this is doing um and sometimes that, it will that's limit. awesome man that is a neat little melody that you just lucked into mm -hmm. and so like you know if it didn't work you know we could change a different pattern and be like well maybe it works well in this Looks one like a target oh yeah this is the what well, yeah this is the one that you said that was uh oh that's not the helicopter um this is the sakura oh sakura um, oh that hey that's fitting because i said it was like a bandage yeah. huh, see i'm smart <laughs> <laughs> 
um, you know, it's like, I don't know. I didn't think this sounded as cool as it was on this one. So not every pattern, but then like maybe if you change up the, um, we can go back to it. Maybe we want to speed it up. Maybe that works better. Oh yeah, that's a nice. Are we? That, that works pretty because this pattern repeats the the, the uh, pattern of the dots. Mm-hmm. It, it repeats. So with the motion, it's going to have that um, the kind of the same sound, you know, the same notes essentially played because it matches the motion better than the thing that we had before, which had a lot more ra- sort of mm-hmm. random looking negative spaces you called it and what we could also we can limit the amount of steps too right so um this kind of is already it maybe it's this type of motion i haven't we kind of that's the thing that's kind of tough it's like what motion are yeah, we forgot on right what, now forgot. you gotta like go through and count <laughs> which yeah. one it is so there's not i mean i think you probably can using this enough like you're gonna kind of get some of these things to memory of like what you yeah well, like using eight by eight you know, you can you'll start to see that you'll start to see that pattern. That's happening at the Colossus, which is ninety six by ninety six. Right. Yeah. And so yeah. you know, I don't have to although I still do a lot, but I could see, you know, remembering over time where the motions were. Because it does give you a crosshair, which is pretty nice. Yeah. As you select them. So I just I turned down the motion length, so I um, I limited the amount of steps that's just going through. So now it's kind of like it's just hanging out in the um, a little bit in the first octave. Or really, that, or, that's a good melt. That's a great baseline. Yeah, um, I do have this set up. Um, I have the uh, sawtooth oscillator also taking this um, CV input, and I've um, let's see, I've split the pulse. So basically, every other pulse hit, the um, sawtooth oscillator will hit. And I did change the um, it's tuned to a different note. Do you know if it's a third or a fifth or did you I, just, you I just, just chose like, a note? Yeah. Um, like we. Can... I'm not. I don't have ear training, so I can't tell. I changed it to minor instead of major, and I can limit the. Let's go to a different. I think, my, I think the Colossus would like this. Oh, that's funny. This one is kind of following. So this um, this oh, motion bounces up and down between um, between these two octaves, right? Yeah. Um, but with this type of pattern that we have fits yeah, these it notes. Yeah, it fits the motion. Yeah. So if we let's change the. This is an outside square and an inside square. That's cool. So yeah, that's kind of the gist of it. So you can also, there's CV inputs, um, like I mentioned for the offset in, um, you can- uh, Clock it externally, yeah. Yeah, clock it externally. I mean, you know, just for a fun- Endure is direction, right? Yeah. So how much, do you know how much CV needs to go? Is it just, cause it's not um, a pulse, so. No, yeah, would, exactly. So if we, let's see here, let's- Put, put a Kyle on the spot. 
Oh, we're bringing out the 248, Marf. All right. About to get real. <laughs> we'll um, pause for three hours while you dial in the no, patch. No, no, no. So I'm just turning up. <laughs> Let's see here. So it wasn't very much. I mean, you know, I don't know how much CV this is, but look, I'm... Yeah, it's interesting that it's CV for direction because it's going to be front or back, right? Or are there all the are there other directions? No, it's, yeah, but then um, I guess we don't see this kind of too much. It's either maybe you pulse something to be in one mode, or you pull something to be in another mode. Where yeah. I would think of this as like a kind of like an on-off pull, like you're pulsing it to go backwards but then i think it just wants to see like a hell it wants like a gate you know yeah, so it's like so a lot of cv yeah or, so either you yeah. know zero it's gonna zero cv it's gonna go um, hmm. forward interesting and, but we choice. can see here like it doesn't take much to then send it backwards well there you know there's an interesting thing this was a euro rack module and i wonder how much of the design that was intentional for euro rack like minus five volts to plus five volts mm -hmm. could affect direction and then you could i don't know maybe that's modulation is the the timing of the change of the direction or something so it's not just an on and off like we would have because we don't have negative voltages mm -hmm. at least i hope not <laughs> so it's an interesting thing it's funny we're talking about this now and then when we talk to to um, andrew tomorrow we'll ask him so you might get the answer before <laughs> before we ask it um that's in, uh, hmm. What you can also do um, is there's a pattern type CV input. So, you know, fluctuating random voltage. Uh, oh, and it's changing the pattern. Yeah. Here, I'll turn this down. So if the motion, can you randomize the motion also? Um, Doesn't look like uh, it. Yeah, you can. You can. Or let's see, you no. can motion the length and um, the start. So no, you can't CV the yeah the motion uh, type. That's also. probably okay. It would be pretty cacophonous if you were <laughs> randomizing the patterns and the motion. I yeah. guess. Here, let me change the motion. I'm still hung up on that Dur being a CV because it's a switch for forward or reverse. Like, did he just put the wrong color on it? Is this a... <laughs> See, well, it's a, C, it's a CB input. Yeah, but, but it's binary, forward or reverse. I mean, that's... that's. And then that's any pulse, where you go. Any like, pulse input is a CB input, right? Yeah. It's just orange. <laughs> anyway. But then if you gave it a pulse, it wouldn't stay, you know, like, you know, as we know, like, you know, because the pulse is just, boom, on, off. It's not going to then sustain that to then oh. keep it to going in, in reverse so, so that wouldn't so the pulse input wouldn't function like that switch then you're saying because well it <laughs> I'm, I'm like diving into <laughs> i'll just ask <laughs> <laughs> like that's not the point of the episode <laughs> why that's called you know why it's blackjack but <laughs> we'll find out we could turn on some uh 288. I got two different delays going on right now. It's probably going to be too much for all this stuff going There's on. There's never too much delay, unless you're using a guitar. So you're, that looks like a K or the Euro This is symbol. like, that's the, uh, I think that's the Kilpatrick Audio K. That was like the sense. first... Uh, 
first pattern, which, yes, that's what it says. Oh, it does say that. It says Kilpatrick. Kilpatrick. Um, another thing, um, so there is some MIDI functionality. Yeah, I'm going to put you on the spot. What would we use that for? No, in would probably be just, I mean, you're not mapping MIDI to CV in the module. So maybe something? <laughs> Start? Yeah, Clock? So I, I didn't. Out makes them. sense. You can get CV and get out, but yeah. What with the min? And maybe it's like the could be clock. Could be clock. Could be um, offset. Could be. I don't know. I'll read the manual. <laughs> I'm not really gonna put you on the spot. But. <laughs> and then, um, then there is a different um, one oh, thing yeah. switch that we haven't gone into is you can switch. So instead of this um, CV slash gate mode that we've been in, which basically every time. You know the the ball moves. You're gonna get a CV note value and then a pulse output um, on the red dots. Um, you can change it to X Y. And this now basically, let's see, what do I have it? So it then kind of it's lust mord mode. <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 more thing. it's basically a CV. Um, so actually, what's interesting this. Uh, pulse output kind of just becomes a CV output when you do this. So basically, it's the Y. Yeah. CV, so right? the Y, the X and Y axis, kind of you now grid this out. Yeah. Um, you're going to get uh, CV values for the further up you go, right, right. and up. Um, and so then if you'll... you let me let me work this through my mind. You're in X Y mode. You have let's say a pattern with all the dots. Uh -huh. I forgot what pattern that is. Yeah, that's the the everything bagel. Um, and the everything pattern. bagel, yeah. And then the, if the motion started from the bottom left, that would be zero zero. And then when it moved to the one dot to the right, it would be zero one, or one one zero because you're in the x-axis. Should we just do this? One zero. Yeah, let's. Yeah, because I'm trying to um, okay. get an idea of. Uh, yeah, Kyle, Kyle's a good guy. I'm breaking stuff. Um, you even have to get out a special white patch cable. <laughs> That's the Robert cable, right? I'm like, oh, this is how I explain things to Robert with the white cable. Okay, so <laughs> we're going to. Um, so I'm just going to go into pitch for both of these, right? So X goes into the square um, uh, oscillator's pitch, and Y goes into the uh, sawtooth oscillator. So let me um, turn the gates up on these. Oh, yeah. Okay, that makes sense because X is never changing as it moves left to right I'm on per row. Only Y is changing. So you're at, you're always going to be at one. So for the first eight steps, you're going to be at one, one yeah. to one, eight. And then two, one to two, eight. Or actually, it would be from the bottom up, right? No, I see it's going, Down yeah, C. it'd be from the bottom up. So that's so, why it's getting lower and lower as yeah, we're moving. Yeah, you would end at eight eight. So we can reverse this. Eight, yeah, eight eight. Yeah. So that makes sense because if the the first step is one one, you're at number one, and the last the very very last one's eight eight, which is sixty four. Mm -hmm. Okay. It's easier to understand looking at the at the everything bagel here. <laughs> and then you know then you could you could change your. I mean, I mean, there's, you know, where you get into these modes where it's random. Oh yeah, because it's holding it there. Yeah, let me go. I think it's these last. 
it's really staying up high. I mean, if that, if that high note was a, a lower drone, a slightly lower drone, like in maybe the 259 with some wave folding, wave mm-hmm. shaping, that, that would have been cool all by itself. So, you know, I guess if you want like some sort of random, <laughs> quasi-random uh, CB outputs. You know, I think... I can see how this would be a really, really great module for getting a sequence, you know, getting rhythm and melody, and then you're playing the rest of your, yeah. your stuff. Yeah, that's you what. Know? Yeah, that's when I've. Um, I think I've recorded some stuff already. Maybe I'll, I'll probably at the end of this uh, episode that'll be like the outro music. But yeah, I've had like really good sessions where it's just like, oh, I kind of get that going, and it's like, oh, that's fun, and now let me, um, now let me run it through my delays and find fun stuff there, or especially with the looping section on the two eighty eight, I kind of would randomly have it then just like go grab some, like loop for a little bit, and then have that repeat, and then start over again and grab something else because it's all quantized. Everything sounded good, so even if it's like still droning or kind of looping a sequence of two notes over and over all the other yeah. notes that are playing works so um so yeah kind of like you know i remember you mentioning um working with the radio module mm-hmm. um you know not having to focus on like the <laughs> musical content as much but um but you can just more dive into processing the this uh musical content that's given to you from the radio i'm um this would have been really cool for that project, by the way, the uh, mm-hmm. for selecting the radio stations with some more randomness. Yeah, but with the pattern of randomness, so you'd hear the same thing over and over. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at the manual here for MIDI, and it's actually got a pretty nice MIDI implementation. Um, it takes in MIDI, uh, note in and note out, and MIDI uh, control code from cc values zero to 10 volts produces values from zero to 127 and then you can use those to uh to control um like basically modulation of the different inputs Mm -hmm. and then it has um midi notes corresponding to the ones being sent from the cv and gate outputs will be sent on the midi out that makes sense then there's a pattern type motion start and motion length or, or midi cc Oh, so so I guess where there's not um, um, motion type, there there's no CVN for that. So I guess yeah. your MIDI is where you could. Yeah, this says MIDI provides a number of useful functions that are not available on the front panel. That's kind of cool, actually. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean that makes sense. We're just not used to that in Google mm-hmm. world. Um, you have to be, you know, there's like one. MIDI module interface or whatever, yeah. but not for individual yeah. modules having outside of like the Northern light modular stuff. Yeah. Yeah. yeah true. Um, real quick. Uh, one thing I forgot to note was you can, um, uh, the motion type knob is also a push oh. button. It's an encoder. Like it keeps yeah. it going. Cause you kind of need it to, you know, as you're going through robot oh, by has robot, a, robot it has robot. a detent on it that confused me, made me think it stops. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, but you can, um, whatever motion type you have it in, if you press it, it will reset. So it'll go back to its like first, um, which um, I think that's what the motion start is uh, yeah. input. Um, how do you, 
where's stop start did you ever <laughs> did you show how to stop and start the clock and i just missed it? um well there are inputs you have to use cv for it yeah pulses there's pulses to yeah so you can pulse it to start um to stop it and to start it but there's no switch or um i mean if you go down to um if you you know turn the oh, clock, oh, clock all the way, all the way down off. yeah yeah okay. um, that makes sense actually yeah that's kind of and like, then you could use midi for start stop if you also wanted to yeah i just found that like yeah it's another way to kind of mess with the patterns and stuff like mm-hmm. that you can um i did i did pair it up with the uh with the marfa bit just to kind of feed it more regular patterns and then i would get even more <laughs> regular patterns because yeah. you, you know based on the um um what type of uh pattern was on there so yeah so you know you could use the 226h sorry if i'm misremembering that this the cv to midi mm-hmm. thing that uh, usually comes with in the lens spider with the 252e oh yeah so you can you know you could use that to get cv from your system converted into midi to do some more modulation of the of the k4816 if you does it have mini i I forget what that thing looks like it's got um cv in midi out okay so it's got a little breakout panel in the back uh that the MIDI in for the breakout panels for the 225H and the MIDI out is for the 226H. Okay, so the breakout panel on the back, you just route that. Yeah, you just route it out the back. Or you could use a, you know, a, a Eurorack one and use Banana, but that's not what the show's about. <laughs> so you'd use a, a 226H for that. That's actually a really nice use case for for that because you've got lots of, you in looking at your system, you have, you know, lots of blues and purples. <laughs> yeah. So you could send the, and yellows. So you could send uh, that CV to the 226H to get MIDI out to do the more fine-tuned control of the 4816. Yeah. And then for a live performance, that actually would be pretty neat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I've had a lot of fun with it. It's cool. It's very cool. So, um, so yeah, let's talk with uh, Andrew and Pat. All right, we are here with Andrew Kilpatrick from Kilpatrick Audio and Pat McMaster from A Yellow Sign guys thanks for coming on the show thank you you're welcome (laughs) thanks for having us so i guess maybe kind of let's start out individually and i've known uh i've known of uh andrew's last name for for quite a while but we we've just met and so um maybe i'll start off with you pat first um how did you kind of get into uh Bukla and um, what's kind of the background of of um, yeah yeah your musical history? Yeah, for sure. Um, as a kid, I think uh, Steve Horlick's amazing introduction to the uh, Reading Rainbow TV show was maybe the first time that I'd heard of Bukla. And my first instrument was actually a synthesizer when I was a little kid. So I was familiar with electronic sound production and uh, you know sort of primitive. Yamaha FM synthesis in portable packages that would be appropriate for a little guy. But there's mm-hmm. something about those timbres in that song that I was just like, what is this? Um, and then fast forward uh, maybe a couple years after I'd first heard that, and there was um, an episode on a PBS TV show with Suzanne Chani. And those two kinds of things put this word, this sort of mythical, I didn't really know what it was, this bukla word in my head. And so that kind of stuck with me as uh, you know, like a mental bookmark for, for many years. And uh, I was actually, I just moved to Montreal in part to study the Owned Martineau, 
um, a little bit closer because we have an active community for that um, early electronic instrument here in the city. And yeah. um, I had run into other people who were maybe passionate about um, for you, modular, Serge, and, and Buchla stuff. And that was the first time that I really got to get some hands-on time uh, with some 200E units and some, uh, some 200 clones. And I got to hear some of these sounds, some of these low-pass gate sounds, these wave-folding sounds that had really inspired me as a kid. Um, and I knew immediately that, uh, that I needed to get my hands on them. Very cool. That's interesting about the own Martineau. Um, yeah. Is there somebody like kind of, uh, reproducing them currently up there? Yeah. So there's, 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 there's a Canadian, uh, a company in Canada, actually it's an American, David Keene is producing, uh, uh, yeah. the Ondea, which is a kind of new version of the own Martineau. Um, Dierstein in Paris is creating sort of a one-to-one reissue of the last uh, official Martineau instrument. And then um, there's a Ondomo from Japan, which I've worked with the developer of that, which is a, a smaller, more portable-sized uh, owned Martineau instrument that's fully featured, but would you know be great for students who maybe can't afford a $10,000 uh, instrument <laughs> if they wanted to get started. So <laughs> it, just to find out I, that, oh, maybe this isn't for me. <laughs> Yeah, right. Um, it's kind of like Bukla in that way, where you just got to a lot of times mm-hmm. jump in and hope for the hope for the best. Um, I guess for the listener that doesn't know, and I, I kind of, I think I know the ins and outs of it, but it, a lot of it is um, based on like a ring um, controller, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. So at its core, it uses uh, heterodyning to produce a sound that uh, that is very similar to what you would expect with a theremin. Um, and it was created in 1928, uh, a couple years after uh, Leon Theremin had sort of done his uh, contribution to electronic music instruments. And it does make use of a ring as opposed to the antenna, so you can have much more precise control over the sound and precise control over the pitches so that you're not... I've played a theremin and, and had one uh, for many years, and the best I could get out of it were spooky Halloween noises. It really mm-hmm. wasn't an instrument that I could master in any way, but... The own Martineau gives you that sort of fine control over it. And later models included a, a keyboard that was originally there so that you could just sort of put your finger underneath the correct keys as a visual aid. But then Martineau ah. said, well, if we have a keyboard on it, it might as well work. Mm-hmm. And so the uh, there's an ability to flick a switch and go from playing with the ring with that beautiful glissando that's sort of reminiscent of... Uh, of uh, you know stringed instruments, which is what uh, Martineau was a cellist. Um, uh, give you that, and then you can switch over to the keyboard, and so you can play monophonically with the keyboard. But even the keyboard is a bit weird in that it has built-in vibrato. It's actually on rails, so you can wiggle your finger back and forth and get that beautiful uh, natural vibrato that the Owen Martineau is pretty associated with. So, oh, yeah, okay, very beautiful instrument. Yeah, interesting. Well, th- thank you for the history lesson on that. <laughs> no worries, no worries. And so, uh, so Andrew. Um, Tell us about kind of your journey into, yeah, making uh, instruments. Well, um, I've always been doing electronics since I was a little kid. I got a amateur radio license here in Canada when I was thirteen. Took a like a okay. night school course at a college, and then studied uh, electronics as well as music all through my sort of growing up years. Um, ended up going to university for for voice performance. 
and uh, but I was always doing sort of nerd things on the side, playing around <laughs> with MIDI stuff and building um, various kinds of projects, and ended up working in electronics for a long time after university, not going into the sort of music uh, field as a as a professional. And then mm-hmm. eventually stuff all kind of came together again. And I figured out how to do um, music and and electronics and software and everything at the same time. Um, I also had a background in audio pr- uh, production, mostly live production. Um, but you know, it's funny, like you get experiences from different things and eventually they all kind of hopefully <laughs> come together in one one thing that you can focus on that you can use all those experiences to you know offer something unique to the world which is i think what i'm trying to do um but yeah in around 2009 or so i started working full time doing working on musical products uh, mostly with guitar effects at the beginning um but it was actually bukla that got me into doing modular synths because I had a friend who was a Bukla 200E guy and he also built clones of old stuff and was interested in just everything to do with synths in general but mainly Bukla and um, I didn't really know anything about modular at all except that he just brought a whole like 18 space system over one dot time to my workshop and just left it there for the weekend and he said (laughs) he said uh here i'll just play with it It, i'll come back and he left me all the patch cords and everything and i kind of went down the rabbit hole with that and uh realized that based on my current situation it wasn't something i could do as a as a customer just because you know i had just quit my job to start my self-employed business so i wasn't going to be buying a 200 year necessarily but um, yeah. It kind of sent me down the rabbit hole learning about modular and all of that type of stuff. And uh, what ended up happening was I um, built an entire modular system from scratch just from, look, you know, looking at how it's sort of the, 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 um, the history of how it's done and everything. And I guess, you know, you can look at my company website and just see kind of all the stuff I've done since then. So the rest is history, I guess they say. But, you know, it was funny that it was the 200E that kind of got me started into all this. And uh, I've came, I've come back to it a few times um, with the pattern generator, which you guys uh, had a chance to play with, hopefully. Yeah. And also um, now with this new project that we're, that we're doing, Pat and I are doing together. So it was pretty interesting. Yeah. So when did the... So was the pattern generator, it was a Eurorack module first? Right. And the same friend who had lent me the Buchla, um system, he kept bugging me to make a, a Buchla version of it. And this ah. is around 2011. And I didn't really know at that time, it was a different market back in those days. And I thought it was quite niche. Mm-hmm. And I was not sure whether it would be worth the time to you know, convert it over to the Buchla. I added extra stuff and there's an extra bunch of electronics on there and different code and everything like that. And I thought, well, you know, if the, is this really going to go anywhere? And he was like, no, trust me, there's enough people who are going to want this. Um, and so we built it and 
pretty much sold out right away. And uh, I didn't really continue down the road doing Buchla modules, mainly because I wasn't a Buchla player myself. Um, yeah. We did reissue it again a couple of years ago because there was some more demand for it. And I kept getting emails over the years asking if we could make some more. So we did a new one, a uh, new batch. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, But, you know, I'm always open to interesting projects and you know maybe pat can give you a little history of the how this this newest thing came about but that's basically you know that's kind of the in a nutshell the the history of how i've gotten kind of where i'm where i'm at now yeah let's let's take a moment if we can and dive into that um different instruments thing andrew if we can sure i so like a lot of folks i'm sure we're interest, introduced to Kilpatrick Audio through I Dream of Wires. Right, your, right. Figured prominently in there from about ten years ago. Yeah, and it was funny. Uh, it was I not I never thought it was going to come out because the interview was <laughs> was done, and then I never heard anything, and it took a long time to uh, appear. But I'm glad that I'm I'm glad that I'm in there a little bit anyway. Yeah, it's pretty cool stuff. You know, before that we started recording, I was telling them that. I really want a Kilpatrick system, a Kilpatrick format system. And uh, as a, as an aside, I was thinking about how we call this, you know, Buchla format, but Buchla was a person right. and not a format, right. you know, and so there's a lot of, but you have, uh, the Kilpatrick system has banana jacks. That's right. And the phenol has, or had, uh, banana jacks. Yep. It, it's, so the um, phenol was basically designed as the more accessible version, I guess, of what my vision was for uh, a complete modular system with banana cables and everything like that. And obviously my yeah, own that... format was a sort of a collection of ideas from Buchla, from some of the other formats and what works well that I thought was a good idea. What didn't work so well, I tried to omit those things. But then it was mainly a guy that was working for me that kind of convinced me that I should do the phenol because this guy was... He wanted something smaller, a little less expensive. He wanted something that had a lot of the ideas in it. He was a drummer mainly. So what he would do is he would set up these crazy patches on my big um, Kilpatrick system, and then he would sample them and use them in his drum sampler. And so he he sort of was the impetus, I guess, for why, you know, why should I could take some of those ideas and shrink them down to some extent but still have it be a fully modular system unlike you know like a semi-modular you know what i mean right mm -hmm. yeah, and the phenol I, I played with one at control in brooklyn uh when i was visiting new york city and you know it it um in my brief experience with it i really liked it uh first of all i thought it was really high quality um enclosure you know and, and the layout this is a really neat instrument and i i definitely felt a little bit of Eurorack, a little bit of Buchla, mm -hmm. you know, it sort of bridged the, like the signal path was super familiar, but then again, you could also do something a little wild. Right, right. Um, and that was know, the idea is... it was, could I do, and, and at the time, it was the first tabletop fully modular synth that I know of, um, and especially one that was less than $1,000 when it came out. And that was really mm -hmm. the big thing is like, I felt I, I met a lot of people who were trying to get into Eurorack, and even then, even if you bought some of the lower-priced modules, even just building a usable row or two rows, you know, with enough stuff to do everything you would need, it was very expensive, especially in those yeah. early days because there weren't too many, 
you know, a lot of the companies were doing more high-end stuff. There wasn't as much competition, I guess, on price. And uh, that was the yeah. idea was, could we take enough modules and put them all into one box? And, you know, there's cost savings, obviously, not having an enclosure and rails and all that. And that was really yeah. the thing. And could it could it speak as an entire instrument on its own? And so far, it's it's been our best product, actually. Yeah, it's it's real. I need to. I know you just discontinued it, but um, I need to keep my eye out for one. Well, we have and, a few more coming, uh, coming onto our site pretty soon. Well, actually, I think they're maybe there now. But um, yeah, we're just we're we're getting to the end, and it's you know we can only support so many things, so many projects at a time. Yeah. So all of our all of our manufacturer guests say that. Oh, it's so <laughs> you know I'm a I'm a two person business, so you know. Um, most yeah. of the assembly is my own hands. I used to have more helpers, um, but especially these days with the current world situation, it's like anything that needs doing, I just do it myself or my partner yep. helps me do it. Our, uh, our guest last month, um, Alex Plenninger, he told us that he runs a limited edition of modules, like, like he releases 25 or so. And I was think I thought it was maybe because cost or some other kind of exclusivity it turns out that it don't that's how many can fit into his moscow apartment before he starts to feel yep. like he's over. I'm like wow yeah man now that's that's pretty elite yeah oh um, yeah so <laughs> it's the same thing here i mean we have limited amount of shelving and storage space so it's you know if you want to launch something new you have to look at oh i have all these boxes of you know like metal pieces or pcbs or whatever it's like where are those gonna those have to clear out before we can do the next thing um, and it's just, you know, at the end of the day, it's also a business. So, you know, you just have to make sure that things are moving through the, through the pipe as yeah. it were. And then the, the last bit of hardware I wanted to bring up, um, is the carbon, mm -hmm. which if on glance looks like a 4815, which was your Eurek module, um, in an enclosure with a really nice screen and squares instead of dots, but there's more to it than that, right? Because I was looking at the back of it, it has lots of CV and gate outs instead of just one of each. And it has a rich MIDI implementation and you can do keyboard split and things. So was that a uh, an evolution of the car, of the pattern generator or is it something else entirely that was it a different was, vision? So everyone, the visual aspect, the sort of the eight by eight grid that I originally did, um, for the pattern generator, it was an LED matrix. You can't, you know, render text or anything on there. Um, it was basically all the questions that I had received over the years about the pattern generator. You know, people were like, well, you know, how about multiple tracks? How about recording? How about this? Um, things that I can't come across that I thought would be interesting. And then the other part was I did um, a few other sequencers. I did the K2579, which was, we didn't build as many of those, but it explored this idea of sort of a two-track sequencer with various permutations, like you could do inversion and retrograde and stuff like that, different uh, scale quantizing. Mm -hmm. um, and then we also did the K7 sequencer that was part of the Kilpatrick format, and it uses an analog noise source to generate random numbers. Um, and the idea with that, it, it explored stuff like uh, adjusting the start and end points of the playback and also you know seeding randomness in there 
um, and that sort of thing. So it's basically it was a combination of all those ideas that I had explored, trying to make something that was a really sort of powerful desktop sequencer where not trying to replace a DAW or anything uh, or a drum machine, but really just saying, okay, how, how far can you take a, a basic step sequencer in terms of all the stuff you can do once you've put some notes in? And people are sometimes surprised to find out that it's only really 64 steps per track. Uh, that's it. But the way it uses those steps, you can do quite a lot. Like, for instance, every track can have a different time base. So you can, for, for instance, have one track doing whole notes. You can record chords in there and then run them through an arpeggiator. And now you can have, like, your basically your accompaniment and only use up four steps, let's say, to do a complete set of chord changes or something. So it's it's trying to sort of go fully down the rabbit hole in one direction, let's say, and see, you know, how far can you can you take it with that kind of user interface. And the visual stuff really appeals to people because, you know, we're so used to big screens on programs. And when we get hardware, it's nice to have hands on. But often, especially with sequencers, I find it's often confusing or frustrating to not really know what's happening inside mm -hmm. yeah well i could probably spend the entire hour just talking about the the uh pattern generator sure, because sure. there's <laughs> there's a ton of academic uh stuff there there's some really interesting psychology about um you know the visual representation and materiality and all of that but well maybe you and i can just have an email conversation sure, yeah anytime we, we do want to talk about your your upcoming module and not make this the uh, robert and andrew show no no for so. sure and you know i'd like to loop pat back in as well and talk about sort yeah. of how things got uh, going with with this this particular project yeah so how did you two meet um pat do you want to cover that yeah, so I I had uh, like I guess everybody kind of here I I was familiar with uh, with Kilpatrick Audio. It's a pretty uh, threatening name for someone named Patrick. Uh, but <laughs> I had uh... only one L, just only one L. Oh yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, and so I was familiar with uh, with Andrew's products, and then I remember the Phenol being launched on Kickstarter, and being like, oh yeah, hundred percent. This is exactly what I want. I'm very much an instrument based person, and um, the idea of just sort of building a bunch of, of modules and sort of flipping them after spending a month with them is really not how I learn or how I uh, gain an intimacy for the kind of music that I play. So this was perfect. This was this was great. So um, I communicated a little bit. I think our first real email back and forth was in June of 2017, um, in which I had uh, I had spoken with the the other half of Kilpatrick Audio and had heard, oh yeah, we're going to be moving to Montreal, which was music to my ears. So um, I sent off an email to Andrew saying, oh, once you get settled and get those boxes unpacked, uh, let's go out for coffee and we'll uh, we'll talk about synthesizers. And that was it. That was the start of a really, uh, really great friendship um, uh, back in those days. So I've been working maybe for the last three years on trying to build, uh, plan out and then build a dream system um, that would uh, mostly use the for use uh, formats, uh, Buchla format and loudest warning format, um, with the idea of having everything I need for both improvisation and composition that would fit into like a, a flight case or a rifle case that would be able to do quad. 
and Andrew and I have talked about this project and and different elements of it, and I certainly came to him for advice on some of the uh, some of the modules to include or not to include. And when it came to spatialization, we realized that there really isn't a good solution out there for spatializing multiple tracks of sound. You can get a bunch of separate devices so that for each channel you have a system that might be a, a quad panner and maybe you have a joystick for that. But for a, uh, a multi-timbral or a multi-voice system, there just didn't really seem to be anything that was out there. And so we started talking about, well, Andrew would say to me, well, what do you want it to do? Like, what is your end game? What, what do you need in this module? And so I started working and on some sketches and designing um, basically the, the ins and outs of what I would want in terms of a performance-oriented uh, quadraphonic uh, spatializer, and then came back and we started chatting. And after that, Andrew said, you know what? I think, I think we might be able to make this. Well, yeah. What did you see in it, Andrew? Well, as, as I'm sure you've seen in the news, it's difficult to build electronics right now, and I'm not the only one. You know, you see <laughs> car companies with uh, problems producing boards and getting chips and everything. So this was like right in the sort of middle of the summer, I guess. Uh, I sat down with Pat. We went out for a coffee on his street up, uh, up in his area, and uh, we brought, brought our laptops, and he was having me help him choose parts for some of the stuff he's chosen to build are like um kits or even just plans with you know raw pcbs so it's sometimes you have to go and buy all the components so you know we were going through the lists of stuff and everything we got chatting about this part and and you know some of them are just not very well organized and it's hard for someone who's looking at that information to know you know how to choose which components to buy there's not like you know manufacturer part numbers and things and it, I got frustrated, um, honestly, looking at, at some of the sort of, I guess, uh, just missing information um, that was in some of these uh, DIY projects. I said, you know, why don't we just, can we just make some stuff? Like, I'm pretty good at mm -hmm. making stuff. I've been doing it for a long time. So <laughs> maybe we can make some stuff. And if it's something that appeals to you, perhaps it would appeal to other people as well. And he's like, well, I've, I've got this, I got this thing. I've been working on this thing. And um, we went back and forth on it. He presented sort of his, like, as he said just a moment ago, you know, the ins and outs and like, what are the core functions of, of how it has to work? And um, I guess I had been sort of had my head down doing a lot of software in the last, well, during the lockdown, I guess, because it's, you know, it's something that I could do without having to buy a lot of unobtainable components. Mm -hmm. And, uh, He's like, you know, this would be no code. You could just do this all analog. And I was thinking like, you know, th that's not the easiest way to solve problems anymore. I must uh, put that out there right away, <laughs> is that uh, DSP is usually the simpler way in audio these days for many reasons. Um, but I thought, you know, that would be cool. I haven't done a big analog design for a little while. Um, mm -hmm. You know, often it gets boring when you're doing a lot of digital stuff because these days it's like, you know, you have your input, processor output and then everything else is done in software which you know you mm -hmm. can do really amazing stuff but from a sort of circuit and product design perspective it's not as exciting maybe as can i do this cool function you know all just using you know resistors and capacitors and op amps and transistors and things 
So that's that's really that was kind of the challenge, I guess, that he came to me and said, hey, could, you know, maybe this could all be completely analog. Um, so I kind of went and did a little work over the weekend and did um, did some simulations. I do a lot of my designs in in Spice so I can try out circuit ideas without building anything in on the bench, which I know is kind of mm -hmm. like perpetuating the, the getting out of the computer problem. But um, <laughs> it, it is a good way to try out ideas without any commitment to, you know, certain part values and things. And I, I got the basic concept working um, and then started realizing just how much stuff it would take to do this. Um, but the good thing is, it actually turned out that we could actually build everything for at least for the first batch we had enough parts uh, on hand and available to us that we could basically do this whole uh this whole uh design from stuff that's you know currently available which is i, I anyone who works in the high tech industry knows that that's uh it's a challenge right now like for instance a, a lot of the chips that i would use for you know uh carbon or uh redox or something like that you just i mean they just can't buy them they won't be available for probably months or even a year so you know it kind of leaves you high and dry if you're trying to build something cool and get it out soon you know yeah so let's i guess let's get in the the specifics of of what you two have been working on pat do you do you want to go over it <laughs> yeah so we have the sextuple quadraphonic spatial director and it kind of tells you everything in the name with all those <laughs> clunky Latin prefixes. Um, yep. The idea really is is three three concepts that have been married together into one uh, 2U or double wide uh, Buchla format module. And so the the first the first obvious one is it has six joysticks. Um, and so those joysticks have a X or horizontal axis and a Y and vertical axis output control voltage 0 to 10 volts and you can use those with anything you want in your system um, you can use them to control amplitude or you can control wave folding or whatever you like with these uh, joysticks but right above those joystick uh, outputs we have a row of 12 inputs for localization um, for the direction of sound and so you can because they've been modularized and they're uh, positioned in such a way that you can use shorting bars to connect them. And we thought, well, that's great, but maybe if we're just going to be using this to do panning, uh, we might not want to always have 12 shorting bars uh, hooked up there. So there are dip switches on the back of the unit so that we can uh, normalize those connections. But oh, having cool. that there means that you have all sorts of flexibility to be able to connect you know, one joystick to pan several uh, channels of sound or maybe the the panning is also going to be one of the cool things to do is um, to pan with a filter cutoff as well and a reverb mix so what happens is as you move a sound away from the listener the uh, frequency content lowers and the reverb increases so it makes it sound like it's really going far away so having that modularity mm -hmm. was really a, a huge part of it so that, that second part is really about spatializing sound within a quadraphonic context. Um, but it doesn't have to be four channels. It can be uh, done as a stereo uh, panning as well. 
And then the last part is a six-channel mixer. So that can be um, obviously integrated with the previous two so that you can have six channels of sound, your joysticks are maybe controlling parameters on your synthesizer, but they're also moving sound around in a quadraphonic space um, with adjustable levels per input and then a, a final uh, a mixer knob for the uh, output, as well as LEDs to kind of show you, okay, what are my levels looking like? Um, but you can also, if you if you really were in a pinch, you can just use the mixer. Um, if you wanted to uh, to use it as a as a six channel mixer for some uh, some purpose, you can do that and just use the the bottom left output of the uh, the four outputs so that you could do some mixing there. But really, we find the the most fun that I've been having is is with the with the panning for sure. I mean, quadraphonic sound, as as you both know, is is a super interesting way of getting into spatial with very little mm -hmm. prerequisites. I mean, you just need speakers and you can feel like you're being immersed in the sound. Um, and so it's it's really great to be able to just plug in some sound sources and just start going to it. Yeah, I, you know, I experienced, um, I mean, we played a couple, uh, or there's a couple quad shows that, that happened. Um, uh, in Seattle a couple years ago where we could go out and play and stuff and stuff like that. Um, but it was all like somebody else kind of controlling, um, where the sound is going. And, um, then when I got to go to Stockholm, um, and, uh, go to the EMS studio and they have the old, uh, 227, uh, mixer and was able to end, you know, a, a quad speaker setup. It was just, um, eye-opening of like, oh, when I actually get to control what I'm I'm doing and, and directing everything, um, so much fun. And I did have like one joystick uh, at one point in time there um, to, you know, manually do that. And um, so now like looking at six, it's like, oof, that's, <laughs> looks like a good time. I mean, it does kind of pull from, because uh, there was the, the 204, um, Bukla module, uh, which was like a a quad joystick kind of mixer. So it's like you're kind of pulling like some. Yeah, there was the 204 uh, from 1970 and the 204A, which made a little bit of a, a difference. I think the first first version had some quadrature oscillators so that you could do some spinning, and then the next one just had uh, CV control over volume. So this is definitely a very Dawn friendly idea i think quadraphonic sound was one of the things that he was really a big fan of and a lot of the san francisco tape music center productions used arrays of speakers in that way but it just felt like they're it felt like the time was right you know i feel like quad mm -hmm. is something that more and more people are rediscovering starting to hear of more modules coming out for some quad processing and uh even applications like vcv rack are including quad panners and we just thought you know what this this feels like the time is right you know the the memory has almost faded of the the ill-fated attempt at getting quadraphonic stereo receivers into the homes of americans and canadians <laughs> uh from the 1970s so maybe with that bad taste gone we can we can start looking at it as a as a format that you really can explore totally there's been um yeah there's i definitely have seen the interest of of trying um or kind of the modular community up here um trying to make you know quad performances um, um you know as 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 often as we we can 
And I think, yeah, just more options to actually um, have the players kind of control the sound uh, themselves um, instead of like having some, you know, somebody with some software off to the side doing it for them um, is great. Yeah, that seems to be what I've noticed a lot. I've seen some even more than quad, but like multi-channel systems. And it seems like the solution is always, you know, let's say produce a few channels of audio let's say mono signals of different parts of the the piece and then it goes off through a sound card into some other computer somewhere else and then that's running some pretty heavy piece of software that's supposed to you know move Mm -hmm. put the stuff where it needs to go into various speakers and everything and it feels like yeah okay for a sort of a high-end performance or a space that has a big budget for that kind of setup that's great but that's not really it doesn't even feel really real time, even though, you know, you can use that in live performance, but you know, it's running through a lot of equipment Mm -hmm. and a lot of processors and computers and everything to get, to get to where it is. Whereas this, you just turn this on and there's, you know, there's no latency. It just does what it does. Um, You don't have to have any specific audio settings in your software and things like that. Um, There are software plugins now that are supporting quad mixing. Um, and encoding if you want to encode quad uh, signals into stereo and things like that. So a lot of this kind of old-fashioned technology is coming back in a new way, Um, and it seems like a great sort of combination to have hardware solutions as well as having plugins and software solutions because ultimately this is a performance tool more than it is just, you know, like um, an EQ or something. You know what I mean? Like it's... This is something that we want to show that people can play it as a real instrument as opposed to just, you know, oh, stick some signals into the various channels and then let it do its thing. Yeah. Which is, you know, that's great if you are mixing in a, you know, a multi-channel for, for movies or video games or something. But for someone who's a music performer, they're probably not going to have that kind of workflow kind of sorted out. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Totally. And they can be hands-on with their gestures and totally, yeah. And then if they want to record that to preserve the the quad format, I mean, most you, you don't have to spend a lot of money to get a four-input sound card these days. Mm-hmm. So even if you just capture all four channels coming out of the mixer, you know, then you can decide what to do with it later if you want to, you know, release it as a quad uh, recording or do you know remix it or something like that you still you know you still have the the spatialized uh, aspect of it preserved yeah i was just thinking back in uh, in 2018 here in montreal i organized a festival uh, synthes montreal and the theme was quad actually and we we played um suzanne chaney's uh live quadraphonic album and had a number of quadraphonic performances and the public was uh, including some listening to, you know, Mort Sabotnik and some of the classic quad electronic albums from the 70s. And the the response from the audience was always absolutely phenomenal. They were, you know, jaws dropped and just couldn't believe what they were hearing. And the problem was they were like, well, how how can I how can I move sound around? Like, what can I what can I do so that I can take my, you know, my system? I've got a Eurorack system or I've got a Phenol or something like that. I can get four speakers, but how am I going to move this around? And really, there wasn't mm-hmm. a lot uh, back in the in that time that wasn't going to require another rack, like a full uh, spatialization rack. 
I mean, you could make it out of modules, perhaps. But uh, as I discovered while I was doing this, especially because I'm not doing it in software, you know, there there's a lot of interrelated parts when you're moving something around. It's not just a bunch of single panners. Do you know what I mean? Like they all have to react to each other in a specific way, and it's not it's not a simple pen curve either if you're using it with speakers. So, you know, apart from, let's say, using like Logic, which has, you know, quad panning and probably some other DAWs that are used for surround mixing, that's that's great in production in your studio, but that's no good if you're on stage. Obviously, it's not really set up for that. So how did you, I guess, how did you overcome those? Or, yeah, how did you work on those problems? Well, I, I guess having a real-time system, which means... You know, there is no computer involved. In this case, it's just a, a bunch of analog circuitry. The trick is to think about, you know, if the primary input is a, a physical joystick, you know, it has to respond in a certain way so that the sound will be at the right volume at, at every position on the joystick, which which uh, is basically what it does. It has a sort of a two-part um, panning curve so that it does the equal power panning which is very important for speakers as opposed to you know a, a sort of naive pan pot where when you pan across there's a like if you mix the channels together you're going to get the same volume across mm -hmm. but when you put it into speakers you'll end up with a hole in the middle yeah um in terms of power so that's something that's you know obviously professional um, mixing, like mastering and studio equipment that's doing surround mixing for like, um, you know, 5.1 or whatever, th th that would all be taken into account. But what I, I guess my point is, if you were to put together a bunch of modules and try to make the same thing, it's just not practical really to do it. And yeah, I definitely know that now that I've seen, you know, how, mu how much is required to really get it to work properly in a, in a single module. There's quite a lot of, uh, quite a lot of chips. <laughs> um, but it works and it sounds really good. So, um, and the voltage control, I think that adds a lot of complication as well. Um, just being able to have everything respond perfectly with zero to 10 volts. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think that's a really important feature because what I've learned from my years in making modules and, and instruments is you never really know, you can never anticipate what someone will want to do with your product. Yeah. And I think that the more, obviously you could say, oh, let's have a jack for every single thing. Obviously that's not practical, but the more you can expose so that people can decide how they want to use it or that they have some interesting application, having everything voltage controllable obviously is like the, that's the best because, yeah. it, you know, people can come up with all kinds of interesting uh, ways of doing things and, I've I've even seen that I've heard um, phenol recordings. Um, there's been a m number of albums made that are primarily with the phenol, and some of the sounds that I hear on these recordings is things I've never heard mm -hmm. personally mm -hmm. before. And even though I understand how the entire instrument works because I made it from scratch, um, it's amazing how people can discover things and explore in a different way, and maybe just naturally different because they don't know they don't have in their head what i have of the knowledge of that particular piece of equipment yeah so they they're exploring it from a different perspective and i think that's really really interesting and that's that's why i think this kind of uh you know modular approach and having it be 
completely CV controllable. That's really the the key, the key to this kind of stuff. Totally. I mean, I I don't know. I think that's why I'm so enthralled with it in in Don's designs, just because um, you know, especially in in kind of the later 200 series stuff, where yeah, try and just put CV control over everything, and there is kind of no end to how to keep you know approaching it in different ways. Well, I think that's really the strength of modular synthesizers is your personality, your instincts, and the areas of sound that you want to explore. Typically, you can do that in, you know, we could have the same system with six or seven different people. And at the end of a weekend, you know, you would barely be able to know that they were made on the same instrument. You know, I find that really exciting from a creative and almost like a philosophical point of view that the the flexibility of the design leaves enough space for individuality to really come out but it's still kind of a communal experience and that you can share patch ideas with other people and you can learn things in a in a very uh modular way and a very uh, bite-sized way so that you're always adding to your toolbox of of techniques and gestures that you might want to apply i think that's really kind of a nice democratic um, kind of view on on music making. I mean, it would be like someone. We we always think this is like a sort of gear centric thing, and and for a lot of people, I think it is. But I think it's also about you know uh, the, the the learning aspect in terms of how to approach these kinds of instruments. In, for instance, let's you know let's say compared with a more conventional instrument like a piano or a guitar. A guitar is a good example where. You know, you might go over to your friend's house and they teach you some crazy chord that you never knew before or a cool lick that you learned from some song. And it's like the instrument didn't change, but you your your view of it changed because you learned some technique or you saw someone do something that was completely un, unusual and surprising to you. And I think that that's something we don't do enough of in electronic music we are always sort of searching for the next piece of gear mm -hmm. and i mean i'm saying this as a manufacturer i obviously <laughs> want people to buy my gear <laughs> but the the other thing is and i've had this talk a lot with other uh, synth uh, people as well is that you know some i, I know a guy he, he um he used to be uh, uh, at one of the modular synth stores and he said he he wished they had a policy that you weren't allowed to take it back until you had used it for at least two weeks <laughs> so, so the idea would be that, you know, have you really explored this thing before you decided that it wasn't the thing that you wanted, for instance? Mm -hmm. And and that's that's kind of um, that's that goes along with this thing. It's like, would you really, you know, a lot of this stuff is complicated. You have to really dig in and feel like you can know all the aspects, even if it looks simple on the surface. It's not really all about the actual function of it. It's how it fits into your entire music making philosophy. And it's like, you know, a lot of instruments are simple, but they take years to master. And that's, I don't think it's any different here just to say, oh, you know, I bought this thing tomorrow. I'm not making cool beats with it or whatever. So therefore it sucks or it's not for me. It's like, well, you wouldn't buy a guitar and hope to play Steve Vai the next day. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, yeah. It's and it's. I think it's the same with this, is and and somewhat more complicated in some aspects because this is more of a, this is um, this is not just a technic thing. This is this is you know knowing the approach, even how to hook something up in a specific way. There's all sorts of different layers to to making good electronic performance, and that that goes beyond just you know having the right gear or knowing how to make a certain kind of sound. It's 
you know, this is the whole compositional everything, you know, Pat, maybe you can speak on that because you're, you're more experienced than I am. Well, I think that's, that's very, very true. And like, even, even just to, to say, okay, like I'm going to get into quad. Like I've been, Suzanne Chaney keeps releasing these killer records on quad and I need to get in on this. The, the change in thinking about how your performance works and how your sound is positioned from, even if you were doing a lot of stereo panning and lots of interesting effects um, before, it just changes so much to go into that spatial dimension that I think you need to have a kind of lifelong learning approach when it comes to this kind of music. Whereas, you know, you can, yeah. with a lot of other instruments, you can sort of reach pinnacle and be like, okay, I am, I am talented enough that I can sit down at the piano and I can jam out, uh, you know, with a jazz quartet and I can play my favorite classical music and I can write pop songs and I can do all that stuff. But we don't really know where electronic music is necessarily going. It's just getting more and more sophisticated, and it doesn't really have a, a super long history, and it doesn't really have an aesthetic as such. Its aesthetic continues to evolve as the technology evolves. So I think that gives us this sense of it's not baked yet. It's still in the oven. So we have to approach mm -hmm. it with that sort of curiosity and open-mindedness. Um, and I know when I first started doing the rehearsals for the uh, festival, when I was going to be doing um, my first big quad uh, uh, performances, I needed to spend a couple hours in the space just to just to get comfortable with that idea of, OK, how does this how does it feel in this space when I very quickly, you know, take a low frequency sound versus a high frequency sound and bounce it from one corner to the other? And I unfortunately did not have a uh, SQSD at that time. So I was using, <laughs> you know, a series of MIDI controllers and like trying my best to get, uh, you know, to get things working in a, in a logical way. I think if you're just wanting to get a feel for how having that extra spatiality, that extra dimension of sound can, um, can give you more options and how it can react to what you're doing as you're making music, either composing it for a recording or performing it live, you really kind of need something that's going to allow you to do that without getting in your head too much or needing to uh, be too many degrees of separation from the actual spatialization part of it. So since it is a new concept, I think, for a lot of people, one of the things we really wanted to make sure with this design was let's not put too many layers between the composer-performer and the actual mm -hmm. spatialization. And I mean, that's how I like to... To, to work anyway. Those are the kinds of modules I typically look for are ones where I have sort of a clear connection or a clear interface in which I know that the, the distance between my brain having an idea for a gesture or a reaction to something that I've just heard or the feeling of the audience, I don't want to have to translate that through too many layers. Um, so I think this will be a this will be a, a bit of a game changer for for that world, and that it will it will make it a lot more accessible and a lot more experimental and fun. Which I think that's one of the things that I think many people get into electronic music is that for is that that freedom and that that ability to really explore sound um, at whatever level and whatever sort of aesthetic they want to explore. So I think that will help with that in terms of spatiality, because of course like pitch, timbre, and amplitude, you can explore with uh, spatialization 
to your heart's content. You can develop your own gestures. You can develop your own signature, your own personality through uh, moving things in space. So I think it will give it will give people a lot of new um, new ideas to be able to uh, to share with one another. And as as an audience, I think being able to go and hear new things that are going on with sound being moved around is going to be uh, inspiring. I know. I, you know, Mutech is something that happens in Montreal and we have the Akuzma Festival. There's a lot of really good experimental electronic music that is slowly coming back after the pandemic. And those first couple of shows I went to, my jaw was on the floor. I mean, I think they could have played an old <laughs> Otecker tape and I would have been blown away, but it was really cool to see what people had been working through the lockdown. And I just came home to my studio and it was like, all right, time to level up my, my skills. On this. I got to get, get cracking. And that's the thing is, especially with people having been at home for so long, you know, people are desperate to see something live. And if you can give people an experience that most of in the audience, if you're not making quad music, you probably don't have a quad type of setup at home. Mm -hmm. um, and to be able to to do that as a live performer, I think it's really interesting because it means that, you know, you're offering something more than just you know, often people go to concerts because they like the live aspect, but they're like, eh, probably won't sound that great. I can just listen on headphones at home or on my sound system. But to be able to actually be in a space that's set up that way is really cool. And uh, certainly something that most people haven't probably experienced, at least not with that kind of um, material being being presented. Yeah. And like Suzanne always says, like, you know, she thinks electronic music, you know, is the best representation for, or to be used in a quadraphonic space um, because you can, you know, adjust these um, parameters so quickly. And which goes to, it's like, you know, there's kind of nothing more immediate than a joystick, right? And <laughs> um, let alone, you know, six of them at your... That's right, that's right. At your fingertips. Um, yeah, that's that's exciting. I I just uh, I purchased a new mixer on the way that will um, help support another couple speakers that I'll put up behind me. So I'm I'm gearing up to, to yeah, excellent to to get there. Uh, <laughs> I've been uh, yeah, same thing. I have some you can't see in the in the, <laughs> the webcam, but I have some more speakers and cables running everywhere as well because i've been exploring the quad stuff obviously worth the hardware yeah um, pat should we should we talk about the the other stuff that we're working on yeah for sure i think that's a great idea um so yeah pat sort of put me down the rabbit hole on this thing and uh i've been during the lockdown i learned vcv rack uh i don't know how many of you guys have tried it but um it's pretty interesting kind of virtual modular synthesis and I think, uh, Pat, maybe you can talk a bit more after about how you're in implementing that as well in your setup. But I find it's a really great um, platform for making um, all kinds of utilities and things that I'm using in my other work to test stuff. So I've made a whole bunch of little tools. I've made modules that are you can download. Um, but one thing I started doing is as I started going down the rabbit hole, learning all about quad in the 70s, because that was I wasn't around uh, enjoying it back then. Mm -hmm. um, I kind of decided that I would I would re-explore these sort of quad matrix formats that were popular back in the day. Um, they released records that, and and if you had a particular kind of uh, decoder, you could 
decode four channels from the stereo signal from the record. And there were unfortunately competing formats, which I think is one of the reasons why it never uh, stayed with us. Mm -hmm. um, but the technology is well documented and there's people who have been continuing to be in, uh, interested in it. There's forums and some people who've done some DIY stuff. So I started learning about all that. So I'm actually making a, uh, I have a quad encoder, it's done. And by the time you guys hear this, my decoder will also be done. And those are gonna be free plugins uh, through the VCV library. Um, so if people want to experiment with matrix encoding, it's, it's pretty cool. It means that you can release a stereo mix, let's say on YouTube or SoundCloud or something. And then if someone has the plugin, they can turn it back into four speakers. Um, very cool yeah and uh and there's a little quad panner sort of like a prototype version of what's the what the hardware does obviously it's not that fun to use on the screen with the mouse but mm -hmm. you know it it does the same concepts so mostly for me to test but you can feed cvs in there and things like that so you can you can experiment with the idea of it in the software obviously it's not the same as a performance uh a device but um, certainly f using it as a way to, in real time, actually, because, you know, it's designed for real time, you can st stick signals in through your sound card and then have a stereo um, matrix format come out. So I hope that people will find interesting uses for that. I, I definitely think it, it, it's got potential, you know, because most people don't have a simple way to play a four track file even. You know, if you open mm -hmm. that up in your DOM, it'll probably split them out into multiple tracks and things. So even just as a way to just capture and send someone a performance in a uh, quad performance, it would, it's an interesting thing uh, to do as well. Hopefully it will lead to more releases. I mean, we haven't had a new record uh, really before Suzanne's in such a long time, but I think now that people are starting to realize that they can uh, make the discrete four channels available or um, different formats. I know BDR can support multi-channel. There's, there's websites that are popping up now that are like Bandcamp, but specialized specifically in surround music. So it's kind of the right time for artists, I think, to get into, um, if they're interested in, in playing around with spatialization, um, to get into it and actually have a chance to release it, which I think for a good 30 mm -hmm. years, that was just not possible at all. And that's definitely coming. There's other, you know, software plugins, and I know actually, apparently Logic 10.7 is uh, added a bunch of spatialization stuff. Now they're, you know, they're working with more sophisticated formats like Atmos and things. And that's not really what we're aiming for. We're we're aiming for, you know, what can you do in the hardware realm with like with analog synths and everything. Mm -hmm. um, but the fact that that's the big key feature of the new version is definitely means that you know we're on the right track i think with with uh with what people are are going to be talking about and be interested in so you have the um you, I, i've been uh, looking you know uh, lurking on your instagram uh page and it looks like production is started on on the yeah, module pr pretty much um yeah, I mean, by the time you guys uh, release this, I think we'll be taking orders and and everything like that. But yeah, we've been trying to, just because it's so difficult to get materials and parts right now, we've been sort of pre go pre pre ordering as much as 
as possible to make sure that you know we're not there's no unforeseen delays when it comes to delivering mm -hmm. um so yeah so it's in the works for sure and uh it's something that that we're uh we're working on as quickly as possible very cool and i think it's important to mention that for folks that are maybe looking for this as a standalone panner or as a standalone quadraphonic uh, spatial director there is going to be an option to get it with a powered to you enclosure and so as much as you know Buchla is at our at our forefront of our thoughts and and certainly uh our hearts for folks that just <laughs> wanted to be able to use this to take signals of whatever and to uh to have four uh, four outputs this will make that an option so uh the portability factor was also very important for us because if you want to take it to a show you may be that 18 uh, 18 u beast that was left over at andrew's uh, uh place that might not be the most portable <laughs> way for you to start panning so just something something small and and rugged enough that you can take it to shows that was another consideration that we wanted to make sure that we covered mm -hmm. yeah so so yeah we'll we'll probably um uh, be offering well yeah we will be offering a um <laughs> the the two the two space boat basically um we're not trying to reinvent the wheel or anything but it seems like there's not too many choices for very small enclosures like that so yeah i've got a lot of experience doing um enclosures for other formats and and the metal work and stuff so that's uh that's no problem that's exciting well it, so it'll have an option like if you for whatever reason want to use two modules in there like if... yeah 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 there'll be just a normal power board and and everything like that cool that's exciting yeah there's yeah there feel like there should be more of like a there's like that enclosure company that did like the i think they're called lunch boxes or something in uh in euro rack and it's like yeah i would always think about um robert and i kind of talked about that f um when wanting to do quadraphonic shows and wanting you know be like oh we should just have people go in on a uh like a 227 e and have it in a little boat and so then you know once you're done using them the, then the next person at the show can patch sure, it yeah. and, and stuff so and even as the user interface because you know a lot of people have their systems angled and up high and everything like that is i can tell you it's it's not as easy to yeah. dial in the settings when you're when your hands are above your head and stuff so even if you can put it right in front of you even if you have another big system behind, mm -hmm. you know, that becomes the, the user interface similar to, you know, the, the touch controllers and stuff that Buchla uses where they're, they're obviously they're separate from the main unit for a reason. Yeah. When, um, I guess, when will the pre-order or do you have a debt state or sorry, date set for pre-orders and, and how, um, how should people go about, uh, finding it? Well, okay, so just, just to set the record straight here, um, this is a collaborative project. Kilpatrick Audio is probably the better-known brand, and we have an online store and everything. That's where it's going to be for sale. Mm -hmm. There will be information on our own website as well once it's, uh, once it's up. Uh, but Pat is also the, the co-collaborator in this, and he has his own brand that he's launching. And this is sort of part of one of the first... Uh, uh, ventures i guess so maybe he can tell you a little bit more about that mm -hmm. so i mean really as andrew says it will be uh it will be information will be available on on both uh kilpatrickaudio.com and a yellow sign.com 
I think while Andrew is is sort of working on on the assembly, I'm going to be working on some of the demonstration videos and explaining some of the uh, interesting applications that we found as we've started using it within our own systems. I know once I start, it's like, oh, four hours are gone, and <laughs> I, I, I should have been taking notes on all the things I was doing. But it's just, yeah, it's a lot of fun to to play with. So giving some of those ideas beyond just the the regular panning, but also for folks who maybe aren't really sure about what quadraphonic means to be able to give some of that information. So I'll be working on some uh, some videos and some uh, some text on a yellow sign. Uh, and then Andrew and Kilpatrick Audio will be working on on doing the pre-orders and and sort of uh, combining our strengths so that we can uh, get everybody up to speed with the project and and start building so that we can uh, we can send them out. Yep, Pat Pat, I can tell you is one of the most organized people in terms of paperwork and taking <laughs> notes. Um, whenever he. You know, normally I, I used to get a lot of people sending me designs, but, you know, as I was just getting started, I think everyone thought, oh, you know, maybe I can have him build my module too. And I used to get all these like kind of, you know, napkin sketches. Mm -hmm. And I started saying, oh, no, 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 I don't do collaboration. It's just, it's too much communication stuff and everything like that. But every time Pat comes to me with an idea for something that we were discussing, you know, it's almost like he's sending me like an entire design document and report with pictures and and everything <laughs> like that. So he's he, he's very good at the uh, at that part of it. And um, so I, I have no no doubt that the supporting material about how to use it and, and demos and everything are going to be top rate. Cool. See, gone from kill Patrick to praise Patrick in just like an hour. <laughs> <laughs> Only one L, I'm telling you. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking forward to to see it in action. Um, I guess, Pat. Yeah, what are? Um, um, I'm guessing you have more ideas for stuff and where what a yellow sign is going to do in the future. Future. Yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm currently studying electroacoustic uh, studies and with a creative sort of slant here in Montreal, and part of that academic processes to get my DSP programming skills up and sort of my transdisciplinary skills up so that I can really start focusing on making probably digital instruments um, and, and software mm. and certainly VCV rack as a platform for future yellow sign things. But I mean, this collaboration with Andrew has been uh, an absolute joy as much as you know, Andrew credits me for being super organized. I don't think there's anybody who know I've ever met who knows as much about how electronics works and is able to explain concepts that would normally leave me uh, staring vacantly into space in a way <laughs> that I'm like, hey, I actually understand what you're talking about. This, this makes sense. Um, so that, that part has been really, really great as somebody who doesn't have an electrical engineering background to be able to learn some of these ideas. I do have a programming background. So to be able to, okay, this is how I would tackle this um, electronic issue using code has been super great. So I'm hoping it's going to be, you know, the start of, of, of uh, collaborative uh, relationship uh, as we start uh, start looking at other other things that were that are both in interesting to both of us. And I think that's really the key when it comes to a collaboration. You have to have a passion because it is something that takes a lot of hours and a lot of time. And there's always that element of self-doubt that creeps in. And when there's more than one person, that can be compounded. So being able to just, you know, go
go out for a long walk with Andrew in the plateau here in Montreal and, and talk about, well, okay, well, what would happen if this worked or what would, you know, should we have these dip switches on the back that really that human connection, I think really made this collaboration great, which would have been really tough if, you know, one of us was on UK time and the other was on Eastern time and we had to communicate solely by email. It really felt like a, like a living process as we were uh, coming up with this beast of a, of an analog uh, device. So, so yeah, hopefully that will, um, you know, hopefully parts will start to trickle in. Hopefully production, you know, <laughs> timelines will start to become more normal. And those those part lists that say uh, expected delivery 2023 will start to come into a more Oof. realistic timeline. Yeah, I mean, that's been a big challenge for not just, you know, my small business, but everyone, you know, and... Uh, and uh, so we're lucky to be able to do something interesting and brand new now. Um, but yeah, it, it's. I, I hope the whole world gets back to normal and everyone can can uh, make new awesome stuff more easily. Um, but yeah, it's definitely a stressful time for everyone. So it's nice to be able to work on something where you know it feels like you're you're pretty much in control of what's happening. Mm-hmm. And that's I think. A lot of us haven't felt that way for a while, probably. Yeah, we're all just at the mercy of... Uh, That's it. That's it. Of the pandemic. So, well, cool. Well, I'm excited to, you know, eventually see this thing in person and um, see all the cool demos that you're going to do, Pat. Um, so we'll have a link in our show notes that you can click on to get right to it, as well as... Um, you know, both the Kilpatrick audio and the yellow sign, um, websites and, um, yeah, maybe some social media links and stuff like that too. Um, but yeah, I appreciate you guys coming on the show and, um, yeah, hopefully we'll talk about, uh, something else you do in the future as well. Great. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, Thanks so much for having us. Really appreciate it. like to thank Andrew Kilpatrick and Pat McMaster for being on the show today. You can find out more about the Sextuple Quadraphonic Spatial Director at ayellowsign.com and you can pre-order it and find uh, Andrew's other modules at kilpatrickaudio.com. Check out our friend's podcast, Tim Held's The Podular Modcast, Jay Ryan's The Deerhorn Podcast, and the Galaxy Electric's Cosmic, Cosmic Tape Music Club Podcast. If you want to help support the show, you can do so through Patreon at patreon.com slash source of uncertainty. And you can get your source of uncertainty t-shirts at sourceofuncertainty.threadless.com. You can find out more about the show or contact us through our website at sourceofuncertainty.audio. We'd love to hear from you. Find us on Instagram at source of uncertainty and on YouTube. Till next time and happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. Don't forget to spatchcock and dry brine your turkey.
I think this is proof that we record this every single time and it's not pre-done. Yeah, that's proof enough. See you soon.